Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hi there, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer, your host. And if you've joined us again, thank you very much for doing so. And welcome to any new listeners. I hope you really get a lot out of this show and you uh, take an opportunity to sign up and subscribe to the show. My guest this week is Danielle Marchant. Um, Danielle uh, is a best-selling author of a book called Pause. She's also a coach um, specializing in working with executives and entrepreneurs around the space of burnout, um, but also leadership, stress, resilience, management, and those kind of things. And in this episode, um, we realized we actually had quite a bit in common in terms of, of the, the change in tact that we had with careers. We both lost three stone when we moved from, from our old lives, if you like, to our new lives and a similar sort of corporate background. So we have a, a really good conversation around stress. What is stress? How do you manage stress? What, what sort of level of stress is kind of acceptable for an individual? We talk a bit about resilience as well and whether or not we like that word, but what we mean by it. And we talk about burnout and try and delve into some of the childhood origins of burnout, what drives burnout, what are some of the causes, and is it something that, that affects, or why does it affect certain people, but perhaps not others? So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, if you have questions for Danielle or I, you can contact me at Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at bodyshopperformance.com, and I'll make sure that one of us gets back to you. Um, that's it from me for now. Enjoy the show. It's Danielle Marchant. Danielle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Mm, I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Good. Let's crack on because um, yeah. we haven't got very long and there's loads I want to talk to you about. But let's start with, with what you do and the background to, to what you do. If you yeah. could just, just overview that for me. Certainly. So I had a, um, a corporate career um, and then I left that about 15 years ago and started working as an executive coach. I was working for a really pioneering coaching company at the time and that took me um, over to Singapore where I was the managing director of a couple of um, businesses there and really learning how to, to coach across um, Asia was a really phenomenal experience for me actually so um, yeah a coach first and foremost uh, I've been working with people for about 20 years now so uh, yeah people are, are my thing yeah yeah and what was you said your experience in Asia was phenomenal but yes we, we you know many of our listeners will know what the corporate world is like and I do as well having spent all my, my time in the corporate world up until six years ago and it comes with its with its own pressures doesn't it and its own strains as well as lots of positives, but yeah. how much of, of your experience has informed your work now as a coach? Oh, massively. I think my entire life informs my work. So um, it's become almost as though I am my work, if mm. you like. So, um, yeah, my, my time in Singapore was incredibly informative. Um, you know, one of the things that I had to learn when I was in Asia was that I had limits. So it wasn't something at the time that I was... Um, considering for myself and uh, at that point running these businesses and, and traveling around Asia and I would fly every week for three years so I would fly um, consistently I'd leave on a Sunday and then return um, on a Friday night or a Saturday morning my work day you know I talk about it, it was six till three but that was 6 a.m. till 3 a.m. Hmm. Um, that was pretty consistent wow. um, and how did you survive that I mean that's I, I, well, three hours sleep if you go off straight away I didn't. Yeah. How long did you do it for? 
Um, and th those work days, um, <laughs> work days plus nights, uh, almost sort of three years, about two and a half years I was wow, doing that. Wow, that's astonishing. Uh, it was. Um, um, you know, one of the challenges with adrenal fatigue, which people may have heard of and be familiar with, is that you get a spike of cortisol around 10 p.m. at night. That even though you're completely exhausted and you're you're you know, really 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 needing to sleep, your body feels like it's waking up again. Um, and I felt like I was superhuman between 10 a uh, 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. I just kept going, and I'd be like, "Where is this energy coming from?" And I didn't understand the kind of biochemistry of the body at that time mm. and what was happening. And I just thought I was. I was superwoman. <laughs> well, it's I the famous second wind, isn't it? That people it tend was. to think, oh, I've got my second wind. Well, I actually, it's and I loved it and I thrived on it. And, and to be honest, I was trying to save the world at the time and I was on a big mission. And so, you know, I loved what I was doing. This is, this is part of the, you know, what hooked me is that it wasn't like I was having a terrible time. It was in, incredibly exhilarating. I loved the work. I really felt like I was on purpose. The vision and mission was huge and I was going for it. And mm. and, and I got caught in all of that. So, mm. yeah, I had to learn a lot about my own personal limits from that time. So what happened when you, as you um, say, got caught? Yeah, well, one day I couldn't get out of bed. Um, so I was in my thirties and uh, I was running a really high profile program. I had leaders flown in from all over the world to Singapore to uh, be part of a five-day program. I was running it, and on day two, I couldn't show up. I couldn't get out of bed, literally couldn't get out of bed. Um, and what were those feelings? Because I think I've experienced it, and it's like you're being pushed down onto the bed by an invisible force. It, Did you feel that? It's, it's it, it, it literally is like... There, there's no movement you can't you literally uh, somebody asked me the other day did you you really couldn't get out of bed I said no I couldn't mm. I couldn't physically yeah the body's just shutting down saying well yes. physiologically I, I, I'm not moving exactly game yeah. over and what was interesting at that point Ian is that I uh, I didn't really think that there was anything wrong so I was still on on this um, treadmill of I'm so important. I'm on such a big mission. Everything's so critical. Like I need to you know, keep going. So I got somebody to bring my laptop into my bedroom, and I kept on working for the week. And that—that's the bit of the story that I always raise my eyebrows at when I look back. You know, because I didn't think there was anything wrong. You know, mm -hmm. a woman in her prime, in in her thirties, who can't get out of bed, and I just thought I was, you know, oh, I must be a bit tired, and carried on. So. Um, I had to learn a lot in my naivety at that time. Did you have any other symptoms? Well, I, I'd had symptoms um, for some time, actually, that I had been ignoring. And one of them was that my joints were um, swollen and stiff and like I was being stabbed, so around my elbows and my knees. Um, mm. I later discovered, you know, this was a build-up of toxicity, toxicity mm -hmm. and the crystals were literally stabbing me from the inside that was what the sharpness was um i was overweight by about three stones um and you know clearly exhausted as well which mm. i was ignoring so there were definite symptoms and and at the time i remember thinking oh you're just getting a bit older you know <laughs> you know you're, you're getting a bit stiff and you're a bit older and um you know i hadn't really I just brought into this story that, that you erode as you get older rather than thinking that I was in the prime of my life and that you know, I should be 
um, you know, really fit and well. Mm. And mentally, how did you feel? Or do you think that the cortisol and the adrenaline was masking any of the real feelings? I mean, how was I, I, mean, I, I think there were a few things. I think I was terrified. Um, so I think I spent a lot of time running these businesses from pure fear. Um, I remember saying to the CEO once, it's, it, I feel like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and that there's shark infested waters below and you're asking me to jump. Um, and I felt like that every single day. Now I was going to places I'd never been, um, places like China, and, and going and doing business with people in, in a way I'd never done before. And mm. it was a whole new uh, set of experiences for me. Now the, the people were amazing, and but there was a whole different way of doing business that I was having to learn every minute of every day, as well as having this huge responsibility and financial targets and teams to build and um yeah it was just programs to deliver it was mm. psychologically i was i was very very frightened mm. most of the time what you would have heard people say is how courageous is that now so that's what you would have had people say you know, she's so brave she's moved from her home country she's got no support she's you know doing it by herself and you know she's she's kind of getting on with it and how brave is she and and at the time and it's probably only more recently that I've come to equate that being brave just means you're frightened mm. <laughs> you, you only have to be brave if you're scared and uh, I hadn't appreciated that at the time mm. so yeah mentally I think I was quite unstable and and you have to appreciate also there's no you don't have your normal network of friends around you when you're an expat you haven't got your support systems that you would have at home around you and that regularity you know even um the way that you do things that would be normal like banking or um you know going to the supermarket everything's different i can mm. remember friend of mine who moved to China she said Danielle I can't buy a pint of milk and I can't change my light bulb <laughs> the, the basics you take yeah. for granted it's that cultural affirmation and familiarity exactly. that's so important isn't it yeah, yeah. um yeah I mean would you describe what happened to you as a burnout or a breakdown yeah. how would you term it um either breakdown yeah. burnout um yeah my um nutritionist would say that it was adrenal burnout adrenal fatigue so that was what the test results were just, just explain what that is if you would um so the the adrenals um produce different hormones um to support the rest of the body's function um and cortisol is one of those chemicals and um dhea is another and um, adrenaline and um yeah my mine were empty, I suppose is the best way to describe mm. it. I had used up all, all of the reserves of the hormones and, and the chemicals in the adrenal glands. And so other parts of the system, if you think the body is a system that's all connected, other parts of the system had to step in. So when the DHEA levels had, had dropped, then the thyroid would step in. So that would overcompensate and then mm. that would start to deplete. So the whole system being connected is really an important concept for people to to remember and at that time I didn't you know I wasn't even thinking about my body or my wellness or, or the fact that I might need it to operate these you know this this existence that I had created mm. um, yeah interesting um certainly I relate to quite a lot of that personally 
let's let's talk a bit about burnout then because I'm really interested in what why some people burn out why some don't even though the circumstances are similar and sometimes they're not similar but do you I don't know how much you've explored this but do you think there are certain traits that make a person more likely or more susceptible to, to, to overwork and burnout? It's a great question that I haven't studied. Um, so I can I can give an, in, an intuitive response to that rather than a, a sort of a factual one. Hmm. Um, it would be a good topic to, to do research on, I think. Um, my sense is that there will be different aspects. So some of it will be nature. So just who you are as a a human being some of it will be capacity um i remember when i was uh in my corporate career when i was younger and um and my boss at the time saying no i I think you could do this job but i don't know if you've got the emotional capacity for it Hmm. um and what he was really saying was you get too emotional (laughs) um, you know it's a your capacity to be able to Hold experiences, I, I think, also affects um, this. And then I think um, there, there will be some elements of biological makeup too. Um, and uh, then there'll also be history and memory in the system too. So I think mm. there are lots of different aspects to this that um, mean that each person will have their own tolerance to situations and stress. And sometimes that may also be a timing thing as well. So it may be that you have had a tolerance over time and then you reach a point where your tolerance has declined or is less um, and what you could tolerate before you can't anymore. And so I think the most important thing for any of us is to be able to learn how to (laughs) tune into ourselves where we are now. I think what's most helpful is for people not to be looking outside and comparing themselves to other people, but to be looking inside and considering what do I need at this time, at this stage of my life. And that can alter depending on, um, you know, maybe a, a promotion at work that can alter depending on you becoming a parent or your children leaving home. It can alter because of a bereavement and because there's a, a shift in your physiological well-being these factors are you know we're very sensitive as human beings it can alter because of the season that we're in if you want to really get into the the detail of these things and, and really stay attuned to it so um yeah to, yeah to consider our own selves i think you're spot on and one of the, it's about life load isn't it so mm. at various points in your life you've got different load different allostatic load which is obviously mm. the well, obviously, it's the wear and tear on the body caused by mm. life events. And yeah. over time, your allostatic load can grow with the accumulation of stress that's been put mm. on the body. And I've mentioned before in other episodes, and I'm sure you know this, but the body doesn't differentiate between the stress put on it by a really good workout or a very stressful event <clears throat> or financial problems. It's just physiological mm. stress. And we mm. have to be, I think, better attuned to our bodies to be able to listen better Use technology, if we will, to help surface the signals the body sends with heart rate variability, resting heart rate, body temperature, mm-hmm. but also a good old-fashioned few moments sitting and thinking, how do I feel? Yeah, that's right. You know, yes. It doesn't need to involve technology. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Mm-hmm. But a, a blend, I think, is very effective. And just yes. tuning into to that and, and, and flexing. And one of the concepts I like to talk about is that of a business athlete. So an athlete mm-hmm. will be okay. So, you know, at the very top level, they'll have 
Roger Federer, Serena Williams, they're going to have teams of people to look mm. after his feet, her feet, you know, the, the muscles and, and so on. But even as an individual, we can think of ourselves as a, a business athlete, really, and get mm. fit for, for stressful events yeah. and then take a break and, and do what, what athletes will do, which is prioritise recovery as mm. much as their training, brackets, working. And I think mm. that's really important to be able to ebb and flow with the demands on your body. Yeah. and adjust and adapt accordingly and I just wanted to come back as well to the childhood or origins point and so I completely agree with you on genetics there's lots of evidence yeah. to suggest that an anxious I say mother because obviously yeah. women carry the child yeah. um, can alter the genes of the baby with with food but also with their own physiological state um, yes. I think life loads are a contributor as well to burnout you know you can be mm. a very resilient not a big fan of that word but we can come back to that mm -hmm. individual that simply has too much and stress was once described to me as being too strong for too long yes um rather than, than a lack of strength or a lack of resilience yeah i do think what happens during childhood can have a significant bearing because again that's going to affect your physiological state but i think there are certain traits i've observed in the work we've done with people who are chronically stressed and burnt out people pleasing is a, a, a very prominent one um mm. you know a reluctance to say no a desire to please yeah is inevitably going to perhaps cause you to do a little more than you maybe should. Yeah. Um, also, measuring your self-worth through productivity, I think, is a, is a big one, kind of linked to the first. Mm. Um, if you're somebody that, that likes to get a lot of stuff done and you feel good about that, that can also be a bit of hiding to nothing. Um, and I would describe crippling perfectionism as well. Um, and I'm sure you know Brené Brown, mm. Dr. Brené Brown's work yeah. around this. Um, and that it was just revealed to me by, by, I think it was her book, Daring Greatly, which I've talked about again on, on the show, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but perfectionism is simply a mask for shame. And, mm. and I would have described myself as a perfectionist in many ways. And then I thought, mm. actually, I don't think I want to use that term anymore, but I really thought about what perfectionism is. And, mm. and it's ridiculous. I mean, it's a complete mm. hiding to nothing. Mm. Um, and what is perfect? I mean, it's just, it's kind of a crazy one, isn't it? So I agree with everything you say about childhood origins and some of the contributors yeah. to burnout. But equally, I think mm. it's important not to make people feel that something that happened to them in their childhood is now negatively impacting their health, because I don't think that's very empowering. Or that it's necessarily, you know, something that they could have controlled or done something about, because I don't mm -hmm. think that's very helpful either. Although mm. it's always worth looking back and thinking, you know, I've known people leave one job because of its extremely stressful circumstances to go and find themselves in the same position in another one because those people-pleasing tendencies have moved with them, um, the crippling perfectionisms move with them, the measuring self-worth productivities move with them. So, yes. yeah. Well, this, this is where childhood origins becomes quite an interesting conversation because um, often what's happening um, from a psychological perspective is we're recreating our childhood experiences. So the workplace becomes a place in which we recreate the childhood experiences. Now that's a, a big topic that I won't go into in a great deal of depth in, in this call today. But that's why when somebody moves from one place to another, they haven't resolved that origin, then you describe it goes with them because life life's really neat it just wants to uh support us to get to the root of things and so it just shows up the same situation to us again in a different place so that we can um go into what's needed for our own um psychological healing mm. um, 
of course, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like that. It just looks like, oh, I've met the same frustrating type of person again and again and again, mm. like something wrong with me. What am I doing? I'm, I'm just not learning what I'm supposed to learn. The whole thing can be quite frustrating. And so I do think there's a benefit in going into these um, places and spaces if you're meeting a repeating pattern mm. in this way that you just can't seem to make sense of and, it, and it's you know it feels like it's kind of holding you back then it's worth looking at that yeah definitely let's talk a bit more about that word resilience then is it a word mm. you like um well I've got a, a leadership team and we run a program called Mind Matters and and we've talked about um lots of words that we don't like <laughs> resilience is definitely mm. one I'm not a huge fan myself but but tell me more about why you're not keen from a from a leadership perspective um because I almost um feel like it, it's preventing people from being more human um that the, there's a sense of toughening up that has to come with resistance, uh, sorry, resistance, interesting slip, with resilience, um, and, and that you sort of have to put this coat of armour on in order to be resilient and tough. I mean, maybe that's just my interpretation to it. But what you were saying earlier about um, the, the business athlete, the idea that people can um, prepare and then respond and then rest and recover and then prepare again and rest and respond and recover. My experience for most leaders is that, that, that there isn't this ebb and flow and that's because they've been told they've got to be resilient and because there's just this constant drive mm. that's, that doesn't stop. Yep. That actually business hasn't quite got the ebb and flow uh, movement to it apart from people's holidays. Um, and normally by the time they meet their holidays, they just collapse into a, a, a sunbed somewhere with a book that they can't actually have the energy to read. So, um, you know, the, the ebb and flow isn't quite as well thought about, I think, in business as it is in the sports world in terms of how it's needed for performance mm -hmm. and actually how that, that space, that pause, that, that uh, pulling back almost, enables resilience if we want to use that word word enables a longevity enables a sustainability of performance mm. um, and i don't think business has really understood that fully yet no how do you encourage the people that you you know some of your leaders to do that what's the advice you give them <laughs> well we talk a lot about this idea of pausing um and and how you incorporate pause and what we're interested in is how do leaders do this on a daily basis rather than needing to go on to a retreat to pause so sometimes having a break and time away is is useful for most people it's not that practical so they need to be able to pause we th we believe throughout the course of their day so mm. our take on it is that human beings aren't meant to be always on and and we are now more and more always on the, the level of connectivity that we have our work is not confined to an office it's not confined to a, a set of hours in the way that it used to be it's much more sprawling and spread out and, and infiltrating into uh, other parts of life I, I see anyway including things like lunch breaks you know they've become mm. sort of a non-existent entity now just a nice idea rather than something that actually happens yeah. So we talk about micro pauses and how do you build micro pauses into your day um, and um, we've got there's some uh, podcasts with some tips I can send you a link to an ebook which has some 
um, some just seven simple micro pauses that anybody can do. So, um, yeah, uh, breathing is a good one. Yes. <laughs> we always like to keep it simple. So, um, breathing is a really great one. Yeah. And simple things like creating white space. So, not having back to back meetings, for instance, but mm. just having a gap between meetings mm. so that you can um, take in the information, process what needs to be processed respond uh, with any next steps and then go into the next meeting which you know is quite an anomaly for most leaders these days mm. yeah brilliant yeah i mean that ebook would be would be really good to have yeah um so there, there are ways i suppose that you encourage people to develop if you like a, a resilience do you get resistance from leaders and how do you counter that yeah, resistance. I'm just, um, I'm just thinking there'll be people listening that probably thinking, well, that would be great if I could have five, ten minutes between meetings, but I don't set the calendar, and yes, yeah, but yes. yeah, but that won't yes. work for me. You know, how do you? Yes. Enc- you must encounter resistance sometimes. Yes, definitely. And you know, I'm I'm also the prime example of somebody who resisted <laughs> for a long time. So yes, hence um, the slip earlier. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yes, and I think that. One of the big things that I learned through my own experience is if we don't um, learn how to pause, life is going to do it for us. Mm. Um, and that was my big takeout, or one of my big takeouts from that time. Um, so I, I guess it's okay, you know, people can resist and and life's going to give them what they need to learn if this is important for them. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're right, the body keeps the score and at some point there are going to be symptoms. And I think some of the symptoms around stress and burnout are not always mental, they're physical. So it's easy for people to kind of think, well, I've got a bad back or a sore neck or I get headaches. You know, I must be, I must replace the mattress or sit differently. But actually that that is one of the indicators of of stress. Manifestation Um, of it, absolutely. yeah, 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 definitely. So what are some of the other things that you do with people to help them manage their stress? Yeah, um, so there are different things. The one-to-one coaching um, is uh, one of the ways that we can go into some of those bigger conversations that I was referring yeah. to earlier. Then we have different types of retreats. Um, so we have uh, ranging from a one-day retreat through to a 10-day retreat. There's a retreat for all types, really. So, um, you know, from an active pause through to a spiritual type of pause or a you know, detox kind of pause, we've got a pause for everybody. Um, and then we, we go into organisations and we give people an experience of um, pausing from a very practical perspective. So, you know, what does it really look like day-to-day in your business life to really rethink how you work because ultimately it is a rethink it's uh you know it's it's not that it can't be done differently it's that you've got to consider how will you do it differently Mm. and do you want to do it differently Um, so we guide three people through an experience of how that can be done have you any experience of of helping to change corporate culture because i think working well you talk with leaders a lot so Mm. they are the people who should be setting and defining and if so redefining the culture talk Mm. to us a bit about that yeah so um <laughs> corporate culture is is a you know it's a big question right so it's a monolithic um, beast as well isn't it, it? yeah i was just thinking about the size of it really you know it's it, it it's a massive thing and one of the things i learned about culture in my early career i was involved in culture change programs and um, so it was really my my background as a consultant and what i learned is actually 
yes, we need to be able to lead that from the top. We've got to burn it from the bottom too. Um, and that if you can do both together, then you can really start to create a shift in culture. What I think I'm seeing at the moment with wellness in organisations is that people are um, attempting to tackle some of the practical aspects of wellness. So we might see, um, you know, pedometers or um, massage at lunchtime or you know, th those kind of things. But actually, I think there's there are for a wellness culture to exist um, will require actually for for the board to really talk to the people about what do they need mm. uh, and what do they want and what does wellness really look like in an organisation. And I suspect there would need to be a shift for organisations to say we we will take a responsibility with this and that it's not just the responsibility of the individual, which is, uh, I suspect when most organizations see it at the minute, it's a bit of an add-on yeah. rather than it's our responsibility to create a place of wellness. If if organizations were truly to look at all levels at how they were to bring wellness to, to their business, it would require a very significant rethink about how business would be done. Mm. For the office environment and how it's set up through to the type of work the business is actually doing and how that affects the environment and the customer and and the future generations it, to really go into this topic yeah. at depth would be significant yeah. um, which is why i get most businesses aren't um, up for that conversation <laughs> no they're not and and i you know if to anyone running a business of of any size i would issue yeah. this rallying call you know it's so important to match intention with investment i've yeah. spoken with a number of corporates that have very grand designs on how they want to create a wonderful wellness program they want to be known as mm -hmm. the best in their industry they want to truly pioneer the practice yeah. of well-being where the prioritization of well-being at work and they want to spend very much money on it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require a huge investment, I don't think, to prioritise well-being. It could be mm -hmm. something as simple as, and there will be financial consequences of this, but something as relatively simple as saying, right, all you morning people, you AMers, you come in in the morning and do eight to four. You PMers, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, you're sitting in there in an eight a.m. meeting, dropping off. You come in at ten, you leave at six. That would help yeah. people's well-being enormously. Yes. Um, giving them those pause breaks, you know, you cannot yeah. have more than three consecutive meetings without a break. I mean, all this, yeah. these kind of things. Um, yeah. There are some companies um, in Europe, I, I believe in France, doing some fairly interesting things around delivery of email when you're on holiday, or rather the non-delivery of email when you're on holiday. Yeah. Great. It doesn't need to be huge, and it doesn't need to be expensive, but we've got to start doing it. And Ariana Huffington, a great quote about um, well-being will no longer be seen as a, a nice to have, but it will be a significant competitive, proven competitive advantage, something like that. So a business should, should want to differentiate based on its well-being strategy, as well yeah. as corner office, car, all yeah. the other perks. Um, and I hope that more corporates catch up to that because mm. as an individual, you know, you and I could coach someone into like, you build in breaks, you, you meditate, you do all these different things, you have your pauses. Uh, but if you go into an organisation where the boss is emailing you at 10 at night and people are replying except you, it's going to be tricky for you to really sure. implement that. Or when someone else is just booking you back to back, um, it's going to be very difficult to get yes. those, the, the, to, to make those changes. So I think it, it's, right. it's so important. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you really wanted to mention on this? We've got a couple minutes more. 
Um, only you referred to uh, earlier on um, about the experience that the uh, that can be passed on from the mother to the child, mm. and there's a there's a really great book called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. I will link to it. Uh, I haven't read it, so I'll also get it. Was written in the 70s um, and was pretty cutting edge then, and still is really. Um, but we'll talk more about that topic if people are interested um, in learning more about it. Um, and then, in response to what you're saying about, you know, the culture. Ultimately, I think at this stage, if people are in organisations and their culture isn't one of uh, naturally one that's thinking about well-being and wellness you're going to have to think about it for yourself mm-hmm. um, and you are going to have to really take ownership of that for yourself and um, yeah take care of yourself yeah. um, and that that's the only response at the moment yeah so let's finish on on you if we may yeah. what are some of the non-negotiable things that you do on a daily basis to stay well Uh, Because obviously it's more important than ever in the line of work you're now in, as well as your own interest in your health, to be well. So what are some of the the non-negotiables? You always do these things. My non-negotiables, I start with writing down my dreams when I wake up. That's um, an important part of my day. What does that do for you? Um, Well, uh, I'm learning more and more that we're guided by the, the unconscious and the dreams are the access to the unconscious so um, the dreams are basically my way of learning how to live yep. <laughs> so they're really vital okay, um, interesting. meditation uh, I've got to confess sometimes it's only five minutes but <laughs> five minutes is better than nothing so, yeah it is uh, short meditation and then uh, a walk in the morning I'm really lucky I live in Cornwall so I can be um, straight by the by the by the beach so nice. that, that start to my day is really important. Yeah. Uh, other other things, I do take my lunch break away from my desk. Um, I sit, I'm, I work from home, which is also lucky. So I go and make sure I, I sit in the kitchen and I eat my lunch away from the phone and away from the desk. Um, speaking of the phone, I make sure my phone is charged in another room overnight and that it's set to um, airplane so that I don't have to be disturbed by that. Um, we, I have something called Organite, um, which you might be familiar with. It's a, um, it looks like, well, mine looks like this. No, uh, I'm often, not familiar with that. Organite, O-R-G-N-A-I-T-E? I-N-I-T-E. Yeah. Um, uh, it's an, often in a pyramid shape, actually, a mix of resin um, and metals. That's a 50-50 balance that helps to neutralize some of the um, uh, electromagnetic frequencies from the, the computers. So oh. if you're somebody who's in an office space, um, I know this isn't my non-negotiable, but uh, well, I have it because it's mm. important to me, but I'd really recommend that if you're in an office space, you have some organite or um, something like shungite, which is a crystal, which will help to um, absorb these EMFs. Bed by 11, it's definitely one of my... Um, as late as that? <laughs> yes, yes. I go 9.30, I go super early. 10 and 11 yeah. for me. But, um, yeah, I, I, my days of the 3am emails are <laughs> truly yeah. over. Um, and I, yeah, I look after a teenager, so work hours are between um, 9 and 4 these days, mm. which is still a bit sort of hard for me to reconcile. So, um, mm. yeah. But that is my my working week, um, and not working at weekends. Um, so making sure that I get out in nature, making sure that you know I I spend time 
by the ocean, in the woods, walking, slowing down, mm. just turning off, really. Yeah, sounds great. My... Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's quite a bit of that that I do as well. Um, yeah. But it takes effort, doesn't it, to, to maintain that. It's easy for those things to get you know, challenged or pushed. Yeah, it's yeah. a discipline, um, definitely. And and I think one of the big things for me is I'm learning if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for me. So, yeah, uh, yeah I have to like decide if I'm going to be responsible for this or not. Yeah, um, and that, and that I, I agree. I think there's much that we can do for ourselves. Even if, if anyone listening works in a corporate environment, there is yeah. still plenty that you can do, if only to bookend your day with good stuff in the morning and good stuff, a good practice when you get totally. in from work, even if you can't control that much of the middle piece at the moment so okay well let's leave it there it's been fascinating thank you very much really nice to talk to you thanks for listening to the show if you've enjoyed what you've heard help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on itunes we would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further thanks again for listening we'll see you on the next show